right, if you have your Bibles, i uh, love you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that, son. Last Sunday, we began uh, exploring a very powerful and a very significant word from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2 here. These three verses, 15 through 17. And his focus was on what we call a fraudulent friend. And what, what I mean by fraudulent friend is, is one who seeks to entice us and allure us away from the word of God, the will of God, and the ways of God. In essence, in rebellion against God. And in this passage, and Christ himself in the Gospels, identify this fraudulent friend as the world. Now, we learned in our study that the world that he was talking about, of course, was not planet Earth, even though we often refer to it in terms of the world. And neither is it talking about people. Because the scripture does say, you know it well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, meaning the people, that uh, we are to follow that. Even as followers of Christ, as you know, we have the spirit of the Lord in us. It's the gift given to us at salvation. And through him, through his power working in us, we actually are supposed to love everybody in our lives, our family, our friends, our fellow workers, uh, other followers of Christ, of course, even our foe, our enemies. We are to love everyone with the love of God. The love that is supernatural can only be produced by the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. It is sacrificial. It is selfless love. So when when John reveals to us that this fraudulent friend is the world, we learn and we discuss the fact that it wasn't planted earth, it wasn't people, but the world that he was talking about, which surrounds us every single day in our lives, is that profane uh, system of thinking and of living the lives that is contrary, of course, to what the Lord would desire for each and every one of us, as I you generally discuss and describe as his word, his will, and his ways. And so even though we are to love, there's something we are not to love. And this is the way we looked at it last week, this way in verse 15, the apostle John put it, it's, a, it's an imperative, which means it is a command to us. It's not an option. It's not something that say, well, you might want to consider this, but no, it is a command. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. And he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we began looking uh, last week at the characteristics of this world that we are commanded not to love. Let me just briefly touch on those so that we can move forward into this passage. We looked at three things. Just want to touch on them briefly. First of all, that this world he is referring to here has a prince. Jesus referred to him as the ruler of this world. The apostle Paul uh, referred to him as the ruler of this world. This world has a prince. You know his name. His name is Satan. 
and we discuss the reality that Satan, this prince, has a, has a myriad of cohorts working with him, uh, fallen angels that was cast out of heaven when he was cast out of heaven because they all rebelled against God. And they are working with him to try to entice us and allure us into this, this system of thinking and way of living that is contrary to God's word, God's will, and God's way in our lives. Now, the key point of that is that everything you see happening around us of this world that we're talking about is led by a mastermind, and that is Satan himself. So, this world has a prince. We also discussed the fact that this world has a philosophy, and this philosophy is built upon the lies and deceptions of Satan himself. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus describes this prince, this ruler of the world, Satan himself, as having absolutely no truth in him. Nada. Zero truth in him. So everything that he is using to manipulate, to entice, to allure mankind away from the word of God, the will of God, and the ways of God is built on nothing but lies and deceptions. And there's so many people who are embracing that. They have fallen to that deception. And I used the phrase last week, they've, they've been drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, I discovered that there was one, one child asked the question, what does preacher Stan have against Kool-Aid? <laughs> well, <laughs> nothing. I like Kool-Aid. But the Kool-Aid I'm talking about is the fact that they, are, they have taken it in hook, sinker, and all. All of the lies, all the deceptions behind all the enticement, all the allurement. And so right now, through the deception, they're already moved into darkness. And as we know, if you read Romans chapter 1, if something doesn't change, the deception leads to darkness, and darkness leads to depravity. And if you just, unless you're living with your head in the sand, you see this literally everywhere, not just in the United States, around the world. There is this deception, there is this darkness, and there's this constant display of depravity that right now seems to be just in everybody's face. And so this world has a prince, this world has a philosophy, of course, this world has a purpose. And that purpose I've already stated really is to draw us away from the Lord our God, from the Lord God of heaven, our eternal God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, his word, his will, his way, so that he can put us on a path, put man on a path to follow him to his destiny. And we know what his destiny is. Satan's destiny, of course, is eternal separation from God in that awful place that is called hell. And so that's the purpose behind what is really happening in this world. Now, we call it a fraudulent friend because it presents itself in this manner. If you will think the way we think and live your life the way we tell you you need to be living your life, then and only then are you going to be able to fulfill this earthly life that you have. Well, today, I want to move to the second part of this passage, and not just talking about the character of this world, but I want to talk about the corruption of this world. This, the system of thinking and way of living that in essence is in rebellion against the Lord. So notice what he says in verse 16. John goes on to write, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. It's not from our eternal God and Father, the good, good Father we were singing about and giving praise for a while ago. That's not from the Father, but it's from this world. So in this, in this particular verse, what John reveals to us is what Satan, what the prince and his myriad of cohorts and all the people who have already embraced this way of thinking and this way of life that is in rebellion against the Lord, what they appeal to is three areas of our lives. So I want you to listen very carefully. See, they appeal to our passions, our possessions, and our prestige. Now look at it with me. See if I can help you understand what John is talking about here. He says in verse 16, he first of all talks about our passions. And he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. So what world is he talking about? The lust of the flesh. Well, he's talking about our passions. Now listen carefully. When God created man, God gave man as a gift natural passions. We can call them hungers, we can call them appetites, but they're God-given passions. It was part of man's being so that he could live out this life, this earthly life that God was giving him, and he could enjoy the different aspects of this incredible life he has just given to them. And so every one of us were born with these natural passions, these natural hungers and appetites that are in our lives. Now, Adam and Eve blew it. You know the story. They succumbed to the enticement. They succumbed to the allurement of this prince. He wasn't a prince at that time, but he became the prince because they yielded to him. And as a result, they introduced sin into this world, sin into our lives. So every one of us was born with a sinful nature. Now, the importance of that in this study is to understand that what the prince, Satan, and his cohorts and all the people who are part of it, this world that surrounds us everywhere, is that his goal, listen carefully, if you listen, say amen, is to pervert every one of these God-given passions. That's what he's seeking to do. With his enticement, with his allurement, everything, with all of his lies, all of his deceptions, what he is seeking to do in our lives and what he seems to accomplish quite well, unfortunately, is to pervert these God-given hungers, these God-given appetites, these God-given passions so that, they're, that they are moved outside the realm of the Spirit of the Lord in us has been driven by the sinful nature that we were born with. And that's what's happening all around. So it started when, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, and it's been that way ever since. It is simply perverting God-given natural passions and hungers and appetites. Now, as followers of Christ, let me just put this in perspective for us. If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 17, 
And in this one verse, Paul draws a contrast here of what is going on inside of us who are followers of Christ. You've received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so you have been, as Jesus put it, born again. You're now part of the family of God, part of the kingdom of God. And what's going on on in the inside? Well, there is a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle going on on the inside. And he describes this battle to us. He says this in Galatians 5, 17. He says, for the flesh, meaning the sinful nature that is in us, sets its desires against the spirit, meaning the spirit of the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord against the flesh, that is the sinful nature, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So there's the spiritual tug of war. There's a spiritual battle going on in me. But not just in me, but in you as a follower of Christ. And, and, and so what the prince... And this world that he oversees is trying to do is to get us through our sinful nature to pervert these passions and these hungers and these appetites that God gave us for us to enjoy and live this life while the Spirit of the Lord is trying to get us to place them under the Lordship of Christ so that they can be used exactly the way God intended them to be used and experience in our lives. So now here's the question I want to ask. You got a spiritual battle. You got enemies fighting one another. The sinful nature and the spirit of the Lord. So here's my question. Which, which one are you supporting the most in your life? The sinful nature or the spirit of the Lord. Yeah, you know, we, we, when you got a battle and you got two enemies fighting one another, for them to stay strong, for them to continue the battle, they have to constantly receive supplies. We call that the supply line, okay? Feeding and giving what is needed to keep them strong and to keep them in the battle. So here's my question. When you take your life, and just listen to me for a moment, there are certain things, all of us, are just basic responsibilities of life. It's just we're alive, we're humans, so they're basic things, whatever season of life we're in that we've got to do, just being human. Let's take that out of the equation and just take a look at what is left. And when we look at what is left, what we invest our time in and what we invest our talents in, what we invest our treasures in, would you say, you gotta answer this in your own heart, like, would you say that you're supporting the supply line of the sinful nature more than the spirit of the Lord? Now, it's not what we say with our lips, it's what we're saying with our lives. That's what I want you to get to focus on. Not what I say is true in my life, but what really is true. When I, when I look at the choices that I make, the time that I use, the treasures where I put my treasures, all of those things in my life, am I supporting the supply line for my sinful nature which is intended on perverting the natural God-given passions 
or is with my time and my talents and my treasures, I'm supporting supply line of the spirit of the Lord that's going to keep those things under the Lordship of Christ so they can be used in a way that actually glorifies the Lord. That's the question. That's what he's talking about here when he's talking about the passions here, the lust of the flesh. Now, let's build upon that as we go a little bit further here and not only look at the fact that he focuses in on passions, our passions, but he also focuses in on our possessions. He calls that the lust of our eyes, not just the lust of the flesh, but the lust of our eyes. Have you ever used this phrase or heard someone else use this phrase? Man, just feast your eyes on that. Why? Because the eyes play an incredible role, listen to me, in determining what we think is really of value in life. That's what that means. The lust of the eyes is, is, is what do we say is really important in our life. What we say, or not just what we say, what our lives are saying. Let me reword that. What our lives are saying is really important to us. What our lives are saying is of real value in life. And how is that played out? In that same time frame, taking all the basic responsibilities of life to the side, that we all have wherever we are, whatever season we're in, and looking at the rest of this, and what does our investment of our time, our talents, and our treasures tell us is of real value, is of real importance in life. Now, one of the things that uh, becomes a vital part of of uh, that whole aspect of our being has to do with this issue of money, our treasures, and what we're investing our treasures in, our money in. So look with me in 1 Timothy, would you? 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 and in verse 10. I know it's up on the screen, but if you're using your Bible, and I encourage you to do that, I would like for you to follow along. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 10. Paul writing to his son in the face says this, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some, listen to this carefully, by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. In other words, it has drawn them away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, the end result is they didn't end up with what they thought they was going to end up with at all. A lot of defeat, a lot of discouragement, a lot of, well, just being deceived. That's important, and I think you get this. I think you've heard this before, so let me just say it again. It's not the money at all. It's the love of money. It's the value we put on money. And why do we put that kind of value on money? Because with that, we can feast our eyes on this, and we can feast our eyes on that, and we can feast our eyes over here into this. We can invest in that, and so we can have this, and we can have that, and we can have other. And so our time, our talent, and our treasures reveal the truth of what really is of value to us. What's important? Again, we can say what we want with our lips. That's easy, Right? But if, but if my life was transparent 
and you were able to look at all of it, what would it say to you about me? And what is of value to me? Now, here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. Listen to it carefully. You, you should know this, but if you don't, this is okay. I want you to hear it today. Seek first, this is Sermon on the Mount, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's just another way of quoting the first verse in Psalms 23. Let me put it this way. When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. <laughs> when the Lord is my shepherd, when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I shall not want. All these things will be added unto me. Now, what that does, though, it makes me face the issue of what really is important to me. What really is of value? What, what am I living for? What are you living for? Psalms 37.4 will not be on the screen, but let me give it to you. It says, delight, listen to this, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Did you hear it? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Let the Lord be your shepherd and you shall not want. So here's the question. What's of value to you? What are you really living for? What's really important? Well, again, remove the basic responsibilities of life and look at the rest of your life. What are you investing your time in? What are you investing your talents in? What are you investing your treasures in? And that's the revelation. Let me ask you this question. It's a little sticky. What material thing that you own right now that you're not willing to let go of for the glory of God? Mm, a little touchy, isn't it? What material thing you have right now, it's in your possession. Now, can I just remind you that the earth and all that is in the earth belongs to the Lord. So it's not really ours. We like to claim it, but it's really God's stuff. But with that being said, why do you have right now that you're not willing to let go of for the glory of God? Let me get a little bit deeper, all right? As a parent, Talking to myself, I'm a parent. I think I got most of them here today. <laughs> I think I had everybody here today. But as a parent, as a grandparent, I've got seven wonderful grandchildren. Am I more concerned about them involved in the things of this world? 
Are you with me? It's a tough one. I admit it. He says, do not love the world nor the things in this world. If I looked at what I have invested in terms of my time and my talents and my treasure on behalf of my children and my grandchildren, would it reflect that I am more focused on the things of this world or on building a godly character in them? Tough. I get it. It's a tough question. It needs to be answered. In light of what John is saying here, I told you it was a powerful and a significant passage. It's, 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 a, it's what I call a hard word, but it's the truth, right? It's the word of God. Do I have a witness on that? So he's saying, hey, look, don't love this world, this system of thinking and living that's contrary to the word of God, the will of God, and the ways, and don't love the things of this world. In other words, they're not to be the 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 important things, the valued things in our lives or lives of our children and grandchildren. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. I mean, God's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of whatever needs your children have, whatever needs my grandchildren. I mean, Seeking first the kingdom of God, his rights. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Kind of hard word, isn't it? So, what the prince, Satan, and his myriad of cohorts through the people who have already, again, I'll use the phrase, drink the Kool-Aid, is seeking is to get your value system with their value system. What is important to them to be important to you and for you to build that into our families, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and then not only our passions and our possessions, but our prestige, as he puts it here. He says, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride Exalting me. That's what he's talking about. Pride of life. I want people to have a certain view of me. I want to please man. I want man to be pleased with me. Here's the question, of course. No, am I more concerned about what man says about me or what the Lord says about me? About this man exalt me because of what I have or what I do or what I can do or does the Lord exalt me in his name for his glory are you with me say amen 
So here's what happens. Not everybody, but a lot. So here's what we do. We buy things we don't need. With money we don't have. And a lot of times, to exalt ourselves before people we don't even like. It's called the pride of life. Boastful pride of life. Look what I can do. Look what I have achieved. Look what I have. And what did Paul tell Timothy? It wasn't, it, it pulls you away from the Lord. What kind of love are we to have? What did we learn two or three weeks ago? What, supernatural, sacrificial? Okay, who was here? I done repeated it twice this morning. Supernatural, sacrificial, thank you, selfless. Love. You can't exalt yourself and be selfless. But when we exalt Jesus, when we exalt our Lord, when He is the reason we're living each and every day, behind everything we're doing, behind our attitudes, behind our actions, behind our attitudes. It is him that we are exalting. Then he, in his glory, for his glory, will exalt you. He exalts the humble, right? He exalts the humble. But see, this is the way the prince, with his philosophy and with his purpose, is working in our life. They, they, he focuses in on our passions. He focuses in on our possessions. He focuses in on our struggle with pride, the pride of life. And he corrupts it all, perverts it all in our hearts, in our minds. So there's the, the character of this world. There's the corruption of this world. Let me close with this. And that is the condemnation of this world. And he puts it this way in verse 17. John says the world, he's talking about the systematic way of thinking and living that is a rebellion against God. He says the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Lives forever. Satan's domain is doomed. And everybody that's sailing on his ship is sailing on a sinking ship. He's already judged. That's unchanging. He's already judged by Almighty God. John chapter 16 and, and in uh, verse 11, the scripture says, and concerning judgment because the ruler, the prince of this world, this is Jesus talking, the prince of the world has been 
judged. He only has one destiny, but his purpose with his philosophy and his cohort is take as many men with him to his destiny, which is eternal separation from God in that awful place that's called hell. already judged. So you may profess over here. Key word is profess with your lips. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But if you're drinking the Kool-Aid of this profane system of thinking and living, then there's reason to question, do you possess it? There's a difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ. One comes from the mind, I profess. The other one is the heart. Jesus said to the disciples, you've heard this, you believe in God, believe also in me. The key word is the preposition in. When you believe in someone, when you believe in something, it means that you have committed yourself to them or to it. And we have so many uh, in churches across this land who have professed Christ but they don't possess Christ. And they're on this sinking ship. And one of the evidence of it, not totally, there's a lot of things involved here, is that over here they want to profess, but over here they don't want to give up sipping on the Kool-Aid. So my challenge to you this morning is to be honest. Be transparent in your own heart. This is not about me, not about anybody else. It's about you. And me is about me. Where are you? What's the plow line are you feeding? What's the real values of your life? Which ship are you sailing on? One is eternal separation. The other one is eternal life in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray.